Welcome to the 164th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Genetically engineered corn and soybeans have become ubiquitous in U.S. crop fields over the past few decades. However, a growing group of farmers are choosing not to plant genetically modified crops. There are several reasons for this recent interest in stepping off the GMO treadmill. For one thing, Roundup Ready and other GMO-based technologies have led to a huge increase in herbicide-resistant weeds. In addition, the so-called stacked GMO hybrid seeds have become increasingly expensive, an important consideration at a time of low commodity prices. Better breeding and genetics have also produced numerous non-GMO varieties that yield well under varying conditions. The other issue that's drawing crop farmers to plant more non-GMO varieties is a growing demand for non-biotech products on the part of the food market. Everyone from big Asian grain buyers to consumers of locally produced meat are questioning whether utilizing GMO grains to produce food is worth any potential risk. The bottom line is raising non-GMO commodities could be a profitable way for farmers to diversify. The problem is, in many farming communities, the grain handling and transportation system is not set up to differentiate between GMO and non-GMO products. The Land Stewardship Project recently held a meeting in the West Central Minnesota community of Glenwood, where we brought together farmers, feed mill operators, and seed dealers to talk about ways of developing a non-GMO marketing network. The strong turnout is a sign of the growing interest in non-GMO crops. Organizers planned for a dozen attendees and over 40 showed up on a cold winter night. After the meeting, I chatted with a few of the participants about the opportunities and challenges that exist in developing a non-GMO marketing network. First, I talked to Jim Falk of Falk Seed Farm in western Minnesota. His business provides various kinds of seed to farmers, and he has exported organic and non-GMO commodities for food-grade markets overseas. He talked about why there is increasing demand on the part of farmers for non-GMO seed. Falk also discussed some of the logistical issues that need to be addressed if a crop producer is going to participate in this type of market and receive a premium price. Well, we've been in the business for 30 years, and uh, we're basically a processor. We do seed source for local farmers, and... Uh, our main core business is still serving that area, you know, local area market in a regional basis. And so oats, wheat, soybeans, uh, uh, different types of corn from different companies, grass seeds and pasture mixes, alfalfas, things like that. So we're very diverse in that sense. We try to be full-service uh, seed source to area farmers. So that's our core business. But in addition to that, we've worked with... Uh, the organic community and, and uh, non-GMO farmers with, uh, within the export market. So we have done quite a bit of business into the Asian market with, with food-grade and organic soybean. Tonight's meeting was about the, uh, kind of networking and bringing far- people together over this non-GMO thing. There seems to be a lot of interest in raising non-GMO seed and in getting a hold of it for uh, feed uh, for for certain specialty markets, livestock, meat markets, that type of thing. What, what are you kind of seeing from your perspective as somebody who's been doing this for three decades? Um, is, there, is there a lot of interest right now? The, the non-GMO uh, interest is very good today. Uh, people are looking for alternatives to uh, what would be considered high-tech farm operations, and uh, they understand that there's premiums if they uh, can produce the right product for the right market, and so uh, we try to help facilitate that. Uh, 
We don't have every option available to everyone, but we have done quite a bit of work with the soybean market. Some of the farmers I talked to tonight said some of the interest they had was price of the GMO, the stacked hybrids, is, is going up so significantly. And uh, But there's also some other, some other concerns I, I heard around you. I mean, what are some of the, the reasons you're hearing that farmers maybe are showing more interest in the non-GMO? Well, I think that the sticker shock from high-priced seed corn cost is is real. And uh, so there there is an interest in saving money from that perspective. Uh, there is also the reality that weed resistance is is more prevalent today, and so the technology isn't working as well as it did in the past. So uh, I think that the realization that going back to what worked before is is a viable option is one of the reasons that farmers are looking at that. And uh, to be honest with you, I mean, the genetics that we have today uh, that are available are, are good genetics, and... Uh, so, you know, a number of farmers have, have really proven that they can have good success with without the traded products. Is How difficult is it to get the, if you want that non-GMO seed, is it, is it still pretty available? Well, actually, we do have uh, quite a bit of product available, but we did book a bunch of that in earlier. <clears throat> the fact is that there won't be enough uh, non-GMO corn to, to serve the needs of farmers that actually want it, in my opinion. There may be selections available, but not necessarily the best selections that would that would be the first choice for some farmers. I guess if you're interested in that market and you want to find your seed source uh, or you need a seed source, you, you probably should start shopping pretty soon. What are some of the things that we talked a little bit just briefly at the meeting about some of the things a farmer should be aware of? As far as, for example, you go and you raise 400 acres of what you what you consider non-GMO, <laughs> and you're maybe looking at you you've got promised a premium price for it, but you can run into some issues with contamination. What are some 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 things that farmers really need to be aware of uh, as you maybe are going to focus on this kind of a market? Well, if you're looking for a premium, then I think you have to understand that there's likely to be some verification involved in that. Uh, seed source verification, uh, you know, what type of uh, system do you have to clean out your equipment and, and do your storage and, and, and haul the product to to the particular market that you're working with. First off, you want to know what your contract is or what your buyer is expecting, and then can you actually fulfill that with the verification that's required? So those are just some basic tips to understand that that uh, somebody is going to want to know that they're paying a premium for that what they're paying a premium for is actually what you say it is. There's a number of different tests for for GMO products, and uh, one of them is called a strip test. And it's a uh, what it basically is 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 you um, blend the product and you you stick a a strip that identifies you know what what they're looking for in there as it would be a positive or negative test for for Roundup presence in that solution. So those are quick tests. There are much more expensive and extensive tests for for uh, you know from different labs. But uh, in general, most of the time, uh, the products at the premium levels that we're working with, the strip test is adequate. I would think overall, whether you're on the level of a feed mill or an elevator, or, or somebody like you who's handling this stuff. A big issue is storage and kind of keeping that separate, just that basic keeping the non-GMO and the GMO separate. I mean, it looks the same. <laughs> and and kind of cleaning 
equipment and cleaning storage, that kind of, just those kind of things must be very important. They're, they're critical because um, the last thing you want to do is put yourself at risk or your processor at risk or someone else at risk by having a contamination issue. Those issues are not cheap. Those issues are not resolved easily. And so most of this type of business is built on trust, understanding that you recognize uh, you know, what you have to do to fulfill this contract or to fulfill your obligation to provide a non-GMO product to the market, and then being able to uh, follow through with good practices, you know, best management practices, basically, to maintain the integrity of that product. Next, I talked to Weston Ginger of Katie Gin Incorporated. Katie Gin is a West Central Minnesota company that markets antibiotic-free chickens to co-ops and other retailers in the region. Katie Gin has its chickens raised on contract by local farmers, and as a result of consumer demand, the company has plans to build a special mill so that the poultry can be produced utilizing non-GMO feed. Ginger discussed why transitioning toward non-GMO feeds is important to his firm. People are getting to ask more questions about our, our food, uh, the food industry, and what, what, what they're eating. And it, it's awesome to see that. Um, you know, as a company, we've always really strived to be transparent and honest with our consumers, and they start asking us about GMOs. So what are they and stuff? Do you, do you feed GMOs? And, and we're like, yeah, yeah, we do. And they're like, well, why do you do that? And like, well, that's... What we, that's all we know. So we've never met anything else. And so we started looking into it and we're like, oh, that's what's going on. And so um, just the, the grassroots people asking us questions and our own research, like, well, we need to uh, we need to make a change as well. You know, it's bigger than just, uh, you know, health issues, that kind of stuff, too. It's also about choosing what we can grow on our land. It's like, well, this is our land. We can grow what we want to. We shouldn't have to be forced to grow certain crops this way or to pay the man. We can do what we want to do. So. How difficult is it for the farmers that you're contracting with to get the feed that they need, the non-GMO feed? Uh, you know, it's easy to find and buy the, the feed. It's, it's possible. Uh, our big point is, you know, as, a, as our company and stuff, to try to add a value product that is, that's clean, that is natural, and that is good and stuff, too, as being affordable for everyone. And for us to go and buy right off the market, it was very expensive and stuff. Trying to work with a feed mill, the price was something that wasn't a good point for us. And the way that we can best keep the price low and our our chickens still affordable to everybody was to do it ourselves and build our own feed mill. And that's what we're looking at doing is that way. So, so that's what your your plans this summer are to build your own females, all right? Yeah, that, those are the plans. So, and uh, it it'll be fun to see. So it all comes out and stuff. We're looking forward to it. Uh, it's going to be a good adventure for us. Uh, good education, a good learning curve. So we'll we're looking forward to it. So will that work out, the way that'll work out is then you sell the feed to your farmers or how, how is that arrangement, how is that business arrangement going to be? Yeah, yeah, we'll be selling it to our farmers um, and they'll be uh, buying from us. And then also, you know, from uh, the, the feed mixer we had in Glenwood and stuff to you and then talking with other people in Twin Cities, there's a, a demand for non-GMO uh, feed as well. So we'll be looking at expanding that and seeing what that looks like as well for the state of Minnesota. And looks like how we can be of a, a good service, uh, not just to our own growers, but also to the community as well and the, the people that are want to uh, do things differently. Finally, Josh and Cindy Vanderpool of Pastures of Plenty Farm talked about the process they have set up so that they can feed as little GMO corn to their hogs as possible. Pastures of Plenty direct markets pork to retailers and individual customers. The farm, which markets around 20 to 25 hogs a week, is working with a local co-op elevator to have their feed milled separately from other grains. They are at the point now where about half the corn they feed their hogs is GMO-free. Well, basically we're using uh, non-GMO corn, and, and that's basically because it, we've had, we found it easy to find in our area. The soybean meal has been a little harder to find. Um, that is 
getting easier. We today we've we've found some sources possibly potentially. We have also found uh, more sources for non-GMO corn. What's the reasoning behind that? Are you is there is that customer demand? People want pork and other products that aren't being fed on GMO, or what, what's the reasoning behind going to that extra trouble? That it's it's customer driven. Get requests regularly from customers asking if we if we are non-GMO on on our feed. And so we feel it's important then to respond to them and, and try and do the best to, to bring them a product that they want. Yeah, we're getting more and more phone calls or emails from customers or even the meat buyers directly from the stores asking maybe on a monthly basis how things are going, you know, what what we have found and what we're trying to do in the future for that. You said it's fairly easy to get non-GMO corn in the in the, the local area here is how did you first start hooking up with people who were doing that uh, and is it a pretty a pretty close geographical area that you're able to get that uh yeah it's uh well it's i guess the other side of town is basically where we're getting it from and it, it's basically just talking to people word of mouth gets gets around that uh, that you're looking for something like that and that's that's how we found it. The one thing about corn is it doesn't need to be processed much. It just needs to be ground and it's ready to feed. Beans need some processing to be done to them to make them uh, nutritious and digestible to an animal. One of the big barriers that a lot of farmers talk about is that they can't find an elevator to or a feed mill that will separate out the non-GMO from the GMO product. But it sounds like you guys have had some luck uh, with a local local elevator well our our elevator is uh it's a co-op elevator and they have i'm not even sure how many branches they have but the original feed mill is in the town closest to us that's that's the one we're using they uh they bought in a former pet food company manufacturing company and transitioned that into a feed mill and so that's where they do their primary feed processing so the the older mill wasn't being used as much and uh, so they're open to do unique things at at that branch Um, and one of them is uh, unique specialty things and one of them is is, uh, segregating some non-gmo grains for us for more information on lsp's work To help farmers develop networks related to non-GMO crops and feeds, see www.landstewardshipproject.org or you can call Robin Moore at 320-269-2105. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. Mm